Welcome to the second episode of With You In Mind. My name is Lisa Upton and I'm joined by my co-pilot Sarah Bullock-Chase. We're the co-founders of Brain Buddy and together we're going to be your podcast hosts. Before we get started and introduce you to our special guest today, we would like to give a big shout out to our sponsors, the National Brain Appeal, who are the supporting charity for the National Hospital of Neurology and Neurosurgery. So let's cue that jingle and let's get this episode underway. delighted to be recording our second episode with a very special guest. We've got Sally Baxendale with us today. Sally is a consultant clinical neuropsychologist at the National Hospital for Neurology and Neurosurgery, where she has worked with people with epilepsy for over 20 years. She is also the author of widely published books, Epilepsy, Complementary and Alternative Treatment, and the Sheldon Short Guide to Memory Problems. So let's do this. Sally, it's great to have you with us today on our podcast. Welcome. How are you? you? I'm very well, thank you. Very good. Good, good. I know we did a webinar with you just a couple of weeks ago, so it's great that we've got you on this medium as well. Um, I suppose for for our listeners and a little bit more context about you, can you just tell us a little bit more about yourself, how you got to where you are today? Yep. So I'm a, a consultant neuropsychologist working at Queen's Square on the epilepsy surgery service. Um, I also work out at Chalfont with epilepsy assessment. Um, I've been working with people with epilepsy for 29 years now. Um, So this really is sort of something that I love doing and something that um, is constant, has constantly changed over the last sort of three decades or so. Um, And it's, it's a it's a really good area to work in and I, I love it. So that, that's my, my role is as a, as a neuropsychologist. So I work with people with epilepsy, helping them to adjust to the fact they have seizures, but also some of the other things that come along with epilepsy. So some of the, the mood um, changes that can come with that sort of diagnosis and also some of the cognitive changes that can, can come with, with epilepsy. So it's a really broad spectrum. Um, of work with a really broad spectrum of people as well so I see people I I work with adults but I see them from the age of 17 18 right the way up to 80 or 90 so right across the right across the range wow so really really varied yeah and I just wonder I wonder as well around obviously I I don't know whether you wake up one day and think I want to be a a neuropsychologist is that something that you wake up thinking or is was it a journey and and what was that journey like yeah, so um, I think I wanted to be a psychologist from a fairly young age. I remember having a discussion with some of my teachers at school, actually, and asking them about psychology A-level, and they didn't do it at school. And, um, and I remember thinking, well, I, I, want to, I want to do psychology A-level. So, and it wasn't that common at the time, because this was well over 30 years ago. So um, I, went to col- I left school um, and didn't go into the sixth form and went to college because... I wanted to do psychology A-level and they did it at college. And then from there, I went on to do psychology at university. And once you're at university, you get to see all sorts of different types of psychology. So um, forensic psychology and social psychology, occupational psychology, all different things. But it was the neuropsychology that I loved because mm. it, was, it was just so fascinating about the brain and just the, the smallest things that can go go wrong with it that can have a huge impact on somebody's life and I I was really interested in that and it just so happened that I 
was given a, a database to work on um, and it was a database of uh, scores of people who had epilepsy and it was their memory test scores and yeah. I got to play with that data as a, as a, as a student um, and that really just made me so interested in, in epilepsy and it kind of yeah my career started from there really. Fabulous journey thank you. We wonder what your experience has been you know seeing patients before and then after surgery and we wonder focusing you know looking at their emotional well-being their psychological state and how that's been through the journey. Yeah so that's a that's a really really good question because I think what well one of, one of the great things about working in with people with epilepsy and particularly on the surgery program is that you can see some some huge changes in people and and sometimes surgery has a massive massive impact on somebody's life and and really changes the trajectory that they're on and that is so lovely to be part of and so lovely to see and witness and you don't often see that in many of the um, brain illnesses because sometimes there's not not a good outcome um, and certainly with epilepsy there can be and that is lovely to see but it's not a straightforward journey and you're absolutely right to pick up on the psychological um, aspects of that because even if somebody comes to to think about surgery and goes through surgery and they have a good outcome they will have ups and downs psychologically during that because making the decision to have surgery is huge there's a lot that you've got to consider um, and you may have all sorts of different competing things going on there with your family saying one thing you feeling something else maybe the doctors are saying a third thing so lots and lots of different competing ideas and pressures and at the end of the day it's up to the individual to decide whether or not to have surgery and they need to take on the responsibility for that decision and that can be huge even when the doctors are being very positive it's brain surgery it's a big thing it's irreversible um, and that's when it works out well so if we've got all that happening when it works out well when it's a bit more complicated and when the doctors are a bit more unsure and maybe they're offering invasive tests and you're not too sure whether to have the invasive tests and there's all sorts of things that, that go on for many many people and so psychological support through that journey and most importantly after surgery the support after surgery is just as important as the support beforehand because it's not that you have surgery and off you go um, there's a lot to get used to even if it's um, effective in controlling seizures there's a lot to get used to afterwards because you never know if it's worked Some, one of the things that people often say to me is how will I know if the surgery has worked you don't you only know if it doesn't when you have your first seizure afterwards so all the while you're waiting to see if it's worked are you going to have a seizure and that's a really difficult place to be for for some people after the operation so psychologically it's it's a, a huge journey for, for those for the people who embark on it and um it's it's part of my job and, and part of the privilege of working with these people actually that I get to to help them and guide them along the way sometimes so mm. and that's interesting because it it mirrors the unknown in life anyway as well it does it does and, and I think that yeah. the thing with with many medical kind of um, interactions that we have is we've got something wrong with us and we go to the doctor and we expect them to say well this is what you need to make it better yeah 
with epilepsy surgery, it's much more, there's this option. It might be for you. It might not be for you. The mm-hmm. doctors will never say 100% it's going to make you better ever. The best they will say is there's a 70, 80% chance it will make you better. Mm. But that still leaves a one in four, one in five chance that it might not. And it all comes back to the person with, with the seizures and their decision. And we don't often have that in medicine. Normally, we just give those decisions over to the doctors and say, well, you know best, you tell me. And in epilepsy surgery, the doctors will say, you know best about your epilepsy. You know what you're prepared to, um, the risks you're prepared to take and, and what you're prepared to do to try and get rid of those seizures. And, and it's a very much, a, I'm not saying that the doctors just hand it all back to the patient, but they will, it's a discussion. It's mm-hmm. very much, a, well, you tell us what, you know, what are you prepared to risk? And, and they, they will tell you what the risks of the procedure are, but it's, it's ultimately up to the patient to decide. And that's, that's hard. It's absolutely not an exact science, is it? It's not an exact science, no, no. And, and one of the things that, that what part of my job is to talk to people beforehand about what we think may happen, say, for example, to their memory, if they're going to have a type of surgery. So we, I say, well, based on everybody who's gone through this operation beforehand and looking at all of their data this is what i think is going to happen this is what seems likely but i can't be sure you might be the person who's has something completely new that we've not seen before and i can't be absolutely certain about that mm. and you know when somebody's coming for brain surgery you want a bit of certainty <laughs> you don't really want to hear well we're not sure but actually if we're, we're being honest with patients quite often we have to say we're not sure we think this is going to happen, but there's always a chance that it might go a different way. Mm. Um, so it's a, it's a big decision and not one to be rushed into. Yeah. Mm. If you could tell us, you know, the the process, the you know, the steps that every patient takes who are considering it, you know, from the beginning, just kind of give an outline to people as to what it involves yeah so first of all somebody Mm. that that normally the the doctor that's treating you normally it will be your neurologist Mm -hmm. we'll we'll talk to you and find out a little bit about your epilepsy and we'll think actually this might be the sort of epilepsy that we could do surgery that that surgery might be an option for you so not all people with epilepsy so surgery is not an option for everybody To, to to be a surgical candidate you've got to have um, a clear part of the brain that's generating the seizures and it's got to be okay to take that bit of brain away so the rest of the brain can cope without that bit of the brain because sometimes although um, something might be sitting there causing seizures it might actually be doing something useful as well so we can't just take it away um, without thinking about the impact that that's going to have on the rest of the function you know we can we can cure your everybody's seizures if we just take their brain away i mean that's you know take the brain away everyone will stop having seizures but we're always looking at well actually what we want to do is not just stop seizures we want to preserve function and stop seizures and and it's getting that that balance right for people so the first thing is that somebody's got to have the right sort of epilepsy that might be amenable for surgery. So there's a bit of the brain that's causing a clear single bit of the brain that's malfunctioning and that's generating the seizures. And that we think actually, if we take that bit of the brain away, the rest of the brain can cope 
and, and you'll be okay afterwards. So that's the first thing. The neurologist will identify those people that they think that's a possibility. And once, once you're identified as one of those people, they will, the neurologist will talk to you and say, how do you feel about surgery? Some people will just say, no way. I don't, you know, I'm not having that at all. I don't want anyone going anywhere near my brain. Other people will say, yep, where, where, do, I, where do I sign? Sign me up tomorrow. And it's not that it's not that straightforward. So if somebody's positive about the idea, then they have to go through many, many tests. And even before COVID, it took months and, and up to a year really to go through all of the tests. So you'll have to have a scan. You'll have to probably come in for um, video telemetry. So you have an EEG. Most people with epilepsy will have already had an EEG, but this is a, a very long EEG where you're in a room for a week. Um, it used to sound absolutely awful, but now people are used to lockdown and they just go, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, that's like, so you're, you're in a single room for a week with um, electrodes on. And we, we, what I, we want to see is a seizure. We're, we're hoping that that person will have a seizure so that we can see where it's coming from with the EEG. And so sometimes when people come in for that investigation, they will have their drugs reduced. Um, and they might also... It depends on, on the patient. So some people say, oh, you know, I'm, I've noticed I'm more likely to have a seizure if I'm exercising or if I'm drinking or sometimes it's, it's really strange. It's, you know, if, if I'm watching a particular television program or if I'm listening to a particular bit of music. Um, and so we, we try and do those things. We'll wheel in an exercise bike. Um, and for some people, they say oh, it's when I'm um, quite stressed. And, and so they wheel me in to do some memory tests with people to try and sort of get them quite stressed so they can have a seizure mm -hmm. so that's the one time in your life that you that you want to have a seizure so we want to see what the seizure looks like on the video and we want to see what's happening with the EEG and if that indicates that the seizures are coming from a particular single part of the brain that we can take out um, that's that matches up with something that we've seen on the scan for example then that's a nice straightforward case mm. but for many people that test might say, well, it looks like it might be coming from this side, but there's a little bit of activity on this side as well, and there's something going on over here. So then they might need even more tests. And that's when um, you might need to be, have more invasive tests. So sometimes electrodes are not just stuck onto the scalp, but you have a, an operation to put electrodes actually into the brain to record directly from the brain. Um, sometimes people will have uh, come in and they'll have injections when they're having a seizure so that we can see which bits of the brain take up the, um, the, the, the medium that's injected and then you go into the scan and you can see kind of which bit. It's almost like taking a photograph of the brain when it's in the seizure um, and all sorts of different other tests that, that people can undergo. And then once we've got all of those results and that can take months or even years, then we will all get together as a multidisciplinary team and talk about is this a good is it a good idea for this person mm. um, and then normally what will happen is the surgeons will say yeah we can get that out and I might say yeah I think the rest of the brain is can, can cope with it if that bit of the brain goes out I think they might have some memory problems afterwards but we can we can work with that and, and then the neurologist will look at the, everything and just say, okay, looking at everything, there's a, an X percent chance of being seizure-free. So you might decide that there's a 60% chance of being seizure-free. And maybe even if you're not seizure-free, another 10 to 20% chance of 
not having as bad seizures or having quite a significant reduction in seizures. And then they, the neurologist will take all of that back to the patient and their family and talk about this is what the team, team thinks. So it's a long process, a very long process. I was going to say it really is, isn't it? And it's such yeah. a collaborative combined um, effort with, with a huge team as well. Yes. And it's not just, you know, the neurologist or just yourself. It is a real team collaboration, which I think is, is crucial to this. Yeah, yeah, no, it really is. Sally, I just want to ask you about how COVID has affected, um, you know, appointments and various things like that at the hospital. Obviously, I'm, I'm assuming it has has a, a big impact, but can you tell us about that? And, and yeah, how? it has. So, so we haven't done any epilepsy surgery now for a year. Um, and but almost as soon as the first lockdown happened, then the, some of the um, operating theatres got converted into COVID wards. Um, and because they needed ventilators and things like that. So there's a huge shake-up in UCLH across the trust. Um, so wards in UCLH got moved over to the National Hospital and things got repurposed. And virtually all of the what we call elective surgery, so surgery that's not urgent, absolutely urgent and life-saving at that moment, um, got cancelled and we kind of moved into treating COVID patients. Um, whilst that was happening, the, a lot of the outpatient clinics just moved online. So um, people were moved to telephone clinics and things like that. Um, and we are gradually now, very gradually getting back to normal. So the operating theatres have been converted back into operating theatres. There's a huge backlog of patients um, that we are working through. Um, but we are beginning to be back up and running. But it's been a year of no epilepsy surgery, um, which is devastating for people who have already been waiting for, you know, a, maybe two, two years already. Um, and we're just about to have surgery when we went into the first lockdown. So hopefully we will be back up and running very, very shortly now. Has there been any sort of positives to the changes that COVID has brought about in terms of the appointments? and? Yes, so for some people, um, because where, where I work in London, uh, people come from all over the country. So we get people coming from Belfast, people coming from Scotland, that they can come from wherever, and people coming up from Cornwall as well. And it's a huge, huge day trip out to see your neurologist for a follow-up appointment that may last 10 minutes and then you may say yep I'm fine and they say good that's great and then off you go and you you know we'll see you next year so for for those people to have a telephone consultation where you might have a little bit longer with the with the doctor um, you don't have to have all of that traveling um, and all the hassle of getting into London and getting back out of London, the expense of getting in and out of London. Um, for, for some people, it's been great and they, they, they will stick with um, telephone consultations unless there's something they particularly want to come in to see the doctor for. So in the future, we will be doing many more kind of hybrid clinics. So we'll be seeing some people face to face and we'll do, be doing some telephone consultations. And I think it, it's given some people more access to the doctor ironically um just because because we've got much better
so that just telephone consultations and there's no reason why we couldn't have done that before but it kind of took covid to make us all see that really um so i think from that point of view it's a good thing um mm. i think some people just really want now to see somebody face to face and just talk to people so so for some some people with epilepsy the lockdown has had a beneficial impact on their seizures so they've had less stress less pressure to be out and doing things particularly if they've been on furlough or they've just not had the opportunities and they've, they've actually found that they've, their seizure control has got better for other people the lockdown has been a stress in itself um, and the frustration of just being locked in and not being able to access all their social support and things like that um, has has made their seizures worse um, and they really would like to come in and have a chat about what they can do about that and things like that so um, it's for some people it's been good for other people it's been bad um, I think as we come out of it I think the NHS certainly the epilepsy service will be more responsive to, to, to people with epilepsy and that's got to be a good thing so I suppose you know is there any information advice you know for patients family members for their emotional well-being pre and post-surgery that you could suggest or advice given you know anything that you could share so I think the the best by far the best innovation that we have well say we that you have <laughs> done is is the brain bodies meeting so there is there is nothing better for people with epilepsy and their families to talk to other people with epilepsy and the families that have already been through this because the doctors haven't been through it and they don't have epilepsy and they've got some knowledge but they don't have the knowledge that that you're really looking for what you want in this situation is to talk to somebody who's been through it and who knows when when you say i'm I'm just not sure who knows exactly the sorts of things that you're trying to weigh up um, and and I think that the clinical team have got a role to play in that they tell you the things you need to be thinking about mm -hmm. but more importantly you need to be talking to people who have been through it and who know exactly what you're grappling with and particularly for the families as well so I think the, the brain buddies network and the meetings are the most important thing when it comes to support um, oh. and I really think that I do believe that oh well thank you <laughs> for that mm, and I suppose that's something you know as to why we created it it yeah. was about connecting because you know how many people do you know that have epilepsy undergo or consider surgery so it's interesting to then meet other people to be able to discuss it to yeah. talk about your experience what it's like what did you notice what did you learn from it what would you find beneficial or things to yeah to yeah. become more aware of absolutely and it's only the people who've been through it that know all of those things mm. so so the, the doctors know things from an academic perspective and, and yeah that that's that's helpful and yeah. useful but it's actually the people who've been through it can say you know oh, oh what you might want to look out for is x y and z and it's not something that i would even know about mm. and, and i would even thought about but for mm. um, and i've seen it when people say it they say oh yes that happened to me oh, yes that happened to me and and you know that sort of thing so uh, an example might be um after surgery sometimes people feel immediately after surgery a real sense of euphoria an absolute kind of 
joy and it's it's a kind of neurological thing it's the brain resetting itself after surgery but I was quite unaware of that and then somebody said it to me in a in a consultation and somebody else then said I had that I had that too and and I had not appreciated that at all it doesn't last long but it's just this little thing after surgery that happens to some people um, and now I can say that that you know you might feel that it doesn't last, but it's just the brain kind of resetting itself. But mm. yeah, so it's it's so so helpful, so helpful to have you as a network to say these are the people you need to get into contact with, these are the meetings you need to come along to, and 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 really have a chat because all of all of you have all got different experiences as well. Nobody's experience is the same. Mm. Um, but you've all grappled with very similar things before and after surgery. Mm. Well, I wonder, I mean, obviously, you know, having the live, people having the lived experience yeah. and seeing similarities or differences, I wonder, you know, with your role, do you notice patterns depending on the parts, you know, of the brain that surgery has happened you know or yes are there yeah. certain connections as to if it's temporal lobe it's very common for this if it's yeah. frontal lobe it's common for this i wonder yes yeah so and exactly emotional. that yes so so we do see that so some things are common to just surgery just yeah. somebody opening up your brain so um almost everyone will find afterwards sometimes they just get absolutely exhausted and you get that real fatigue where you have to sleep you just and that's your brain saying enough now i've got to got to sleep and that's everybody almost everybody experiences that at some point after surgery and sometimes it can be quite prolonged and sometimes it doesn't last that long but for most people that's what happens and that's just because somebody's opened up your brain gone in there with a stick and stirred it up a bit and that's kind of what happens but for temporal lobe, and even if it's on the right or the left, or if it's at the front, or if it's at the back, an occipital lobe, all of those things have slightly different trajectories afterwards, slightly different changes in memory and uh, other, other forms of kind of sometimes personality. Sometimes people can become quite irritable. Sometimes people can become quite impulsive depending on which parts of the brain have been not just taken away but also disturbed the networks that have been disturbed by the surgery so we are lucky at the national in that we've got a database of literally hundreds and hundreds of people who've been through this and we have kind of tracked how they are up to sort of 10 15 years after the operation so when people come and they're going to have a certain type of surgery we can look and see okay we've done 15 of these in in this part of the brain and and how did those people get an and what were they kind of reporting afterwards and we can give people a bit of a heads up as to what to expect and support afterwards if if it happens or if mm -hmm. something un unusual happens it's so fascinating isn't it so fascinating just yeah. something you, you touched on earlier around obviously we've created this network whereby we support the, the patients but as well i think a big piece that that we saw that was missing after our surgery was that family and yep. friends support yep. um yep. so you know we're really hoping to be back at queen square very soon to be delivering talks but but as part of that i think it's very important to include our, our family's um, perception of, of what's happened to the individual it's really it is so important to, to include the family because the families are going through this as well it's their loved one and 
they don't know what's normal and what's not after the operation and they i mean understandably are incredibly worried about what's happening but needs also want to know how to kind of respect the boundaries of somebody because these are well they're adults we're, we're dealing with adults we're not dealing with children i, I don't work with children you know I mean, there are children who have epilepsy surgery but not in my service so it's it's a really really difficult thing it's a really difficult thing and the the best outcomes are where everybody's on the same page everybody understands what's happening um, and understands that there will be good days and bad days after surgery and it doesn't mean that something's gone wrong if you take two steps forward and one step back that's that's how recovery happens it's not just getting better and better and better there's ups and downs and if the whole family of, and friends and wider networks are aware of that the whole stress level comes down and actually everything is is better whereas if people aren't aware are they're understandably scared they don't under, they don't know what's going to happen after the operation um, and if, if you're not sure and you, you haven't got that you, that way to link in and ask is this normal is this right is this you know is there something going, gone horribly wrong then um, then it, it can get incredibly stressful and things can really spiral out of control actually after the operation without that support so I'm, I'm all for um, getting as many people in as possible and educating as many people as possible who are going to be around the, the patient after the operation um, so that they can give the right support because sometimes um, although it's done with love if you don't know what you're doing and you're not too sure what you're dealing with you can escalate situations that don't need to be escalated um, and stress can really be quite damaging in that, that setting. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Sally. It's been incredibly insightful to have you on the podcast okay, and hear all of your, gosh, nuggets of wisdom for want of a better word. Um, mm -hmm. It is really incredible to hear, to hear what's going on. So thank you. Thank you from us both. Okay. Thank it's been you. an absolute pleasure. And thank you for the work that you do because it is, it's, I know it's appreciated by other people other patients coming through the program but also the team the team at the national really do appreciate what you've done and what you continue to do and we very much hope that you're going to be back with us soon as well given your meetings because we have a whole load of people waiting to hear what you've oh. got to say oh, hopefully it won't be too long it'll be sooner than you think but in the meantime we'll continue to create our podcast with you in mind Join us next time when we have a special guest, Anna Miserocci, who is a neurosurgeon at the National Hospital and is going to be talking to us about brain surgery and the physical impacts of that. Until then, stay safe, stay well and stay tuned. <laughs>